NPR. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Waylon Wong. And I'm Darian Woods. And you're listening to Indicators of the Week. And today we are joined by our colleague from Planet Money, Kenny Malone. It is I. I am here. Hello. I am here. There's a cloud of smoke that emerged around you when you walked in the door. Is that not how you guys enter rooms? Like, what's, what do you do? So today we're going to bring you a variety of different shocking, stunning, or inspiring indicators from this week's headlines. We've got a little something for everybody. All of that for all of you. And I will not do any magic, I promise, after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Arctic Wolf. Their researchers have released the Arctic Wolf Lab's 2024 threat report. Why will 2024 be a volatile year for cybersecurity? Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Babson College. Discover Babson College's Master of Science and Management in Entrepreneurial Leadership Program, an intensive nine-month journey that equips recent college graduates with practical skills for today's dynamic business landscape. Tackle real-world challenges and emerge with a problem-solving mindset. Whether you choose to start your own business or innovate within a corporation, a master's from Babson will help launch your career forward. Apply today at babson.edu slash msleader. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. All right, indicators of the week. What do you have, Darian? So my indicator is based in Italy, where there's this kind of gladiatorial battle between bankers and politicians going on. It's all about this plan to tax banks. Take us to the Coliseum, Darian. (laughs) I'm ready to go. So a bit of background. The government in Italy is led by Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney. She leads the Brothers of Italy party. It has neo-fascist roots and came to power saying it would turn the Italian economy around. The Italian economy is not doing great. In March, a million Italian households missed a mortgage or loan payment. That is a lot of defaults. Yeah, not doing great. That sounds like not doing great. Yeah, and meanwhile, you've got Italian banks announcing strong profits this year, like 60 or 70% more than a couple of years ago. The banks have been charging higher interest rates for things like mortgages, but aren't offering particularly higher interest rates to savers. That part sounds vaguely familiar to me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's happening all around the world, and it's particularly noticeable in Italy at the moment. There is this golden goose out there announcing its wonderful golden eggs. So on Monday, the Deputy Prime Minister announced a 40% tax on the difference between what banks are earning this year versus what they were earning two years ago. That's my indicator, by the way, 40%. And it's essentially a solid tax on those extra profits that banks are making. But you know, with golden gooses, they are very sensitive creatures. And now they're getting squeezed. What sound does a squeezed golden goose make? The sound they make is is share prices tumbling 5 to 10% on one day, which is oh. what happened on Tuesday. There's this flurry of honking and panicking, and the government partly backtracked a little, like within 24 hours. It capped the amount of money that it planned to take from each bank, basically roughly halving what the government was going to take in. 
And so these worries now from business circles about what it means for this government as a whole and what next it might do to try to snatch those golden eggs. Well, a tale as old as time. <laughs> Kenny, do you have another yarn you want to spin here? I mean, it's not it's not as good as that one. I, I wish I would have Oh, gone I first doubt that now. very much. Lay it on us, Kenny. But here, here's what I do have. I have an indicator that sort of like opens up like a little nesting doll into a second indicator. Are you ready for that? Are you caffeinated? Is your brain prepared for two indicators? I'm prepared. Okay. Oh, yes. All right, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so indicator number one, imports, you know, stuff coming into the U.S. And we got new numbers from the Commerce Department this week that show, so far this year, imports are down about 6% compared to the first six months of last year. And, and that's fine. Fine. There, you know, is a super easy story to tell here. We've been emerging from pandemic hibernation. We were spending more of our money on on eating out and vacations and other things that, you know, don't have to be imported on a container ship. And here's where the second indicator comes in. It's hidden inside those import numbers. And if we look just at imports from China, those are down way more than just that 6%. They are down 25%, Darian and Waylon. Oh, wow. Wow. Is this the kind of decoupling that we've been hearing about? Well, Darian, yes, it is reasonable to conclude that that giant drop is not just about us emerging from pandemic hibernation. And in fact, some commentators have suggested that perhaps that number is more about the U.S. and China seriously beginning to decouple, to break up, if you will. So this generally makes some sense, the decoupling, because tensions have been rising. You know, the, the start with the Trump administration implementing all those tariffs, and then Biden administration and Congress have cracked down on things like tech investment in China and selling U.S. microchips to China. And so it is possible that this giant drop in imports, it's a sign that American companies have started to move their supply chains away from China, away from the turmoil, away from the risk, which, if we're talking about a breakup, I think of as us starting to move our stuff out of China's apartment, uh, our toothbrush, <laughs> our sneakers, our TV, uh, all things that might actually have dropped in import numbers, though I have not had time to check. So um, we'll keep it as a <laughs> metaphor for now, if that's all right. Now, uh, I will say it's possible that we are moving towards a little bit of a little love triangle situation here, Waylon and Darian, because... Oh, now I'm intrigued. I figured you would be. As the U.S. has moved away from reliance on China, uh, we, of course, have been cozying up to countries like Mexico, Vietnam, India to help sort of fill our supply chain needs. Well, guys, do you want to guess who else is economically flirting more with those same countries? Want to guess? Want to guess? It's China. China's oh also courting them. Yeah. So, you know, uh, feels a little bit like there is definitely an economic soap opera to be written in our future. Uh, Whale and I would not mind if you write and direct that one, but... Oh, I would be delighted. But that's for later. That's for later. I know you have an indicator today. Oh, yes. And I am going to bring us back to the U.S. My indicator is $1.62 billion. That is what the private equity firm KKR is paying for the publisher Simon & Schuster in a deal announced this week. So the world of publishing is dominated by five companies creatively known as the Big Five. And Simon <laughs> & Schuster is one of those five. It's the home of huge best-selling authors like Stephen King and Colleen Hoover. I'm currently reading a new thriller by the author Ruth Ware. I stayed up so late reading it the other night. She's also a Simon & Schuster author. Hold on, Wait, did you just pick this so that you could talk about a 
book recommendation? Is that the entire yeah, reason I, you did this in the I theater? only ever want to talk about books I'm reading. Okay, so yes. Fine. All right. I have actually another book recommendation, but it <laughs> relates to the Simon and Schuster acquisition. It's okay. not just me doing book club. So this is not a new release. This is a classic from 1990. Maybe you've read it, Barbarians at the Gate. It is a seminal work of business journalism by Brian Burrow and John Hellyer. And it's this epic Wall Street tale about what was then the largest leverage buyout deal in US history, $25 billion. And guess what? KKR, the private equity firm that just acquired Simon & Schuster, they were the buyers in that big deal that's documented in the book. Oh, I smell update to Barbarians at the Gate. Gonna be good. This deal was like not quite as fraught as what happened in that book, which was like pretty wild. So KKR is buying Simon & Schuster from Paramount, the big media conglomerate. And Paramount had been wanting to offload Simon & Schuster for a while. You might remember that it tried selling it to Penguin Random House, another big publisher. And then the Department of Justice sued to stop the deal on antitrust grounds. Yep. Um, Because do you remember Stephen King came in and testified on behalf of the government? Yeah, I mean, I think we all know that monopoly power is uh, what happens when you live on a pet cemetery, right? That's the, (laughs) isn't that what happens? Um, Yeah, that's exactly what happens in the novel. Yep. So is this going to get blocked by the Department of Justice? Uh, We have to see. It still needs regulatory approval, although the DOJ's big objection to that other deal was that it was going to be too much publishing power concentrated in one company. And in this case, KKR is not another big publisher. People are often critical of private equity in general. They worry that when these Wall Street firms come in, they start making all these cuts and they lay off everyone. And one thing that's interesting about this deal I read is that KKR is trying to, I think, assure Simon & Schuster employees that they're going to be kind, you know, uh, not the barbarians of the past, but a kinder, gentler owner. And so they're actually introducing an employee stock ownership program where workers get a stake in the company. And this is apparently something KKR has done at other companies it's acquired. All right. Well, that's better than handing everybody a private equity logo vest or something. Uh, Maybe they'll get those too as a bonus. Yeah, yeah. This episode was produced by Corey Bridges and engineered by Maggie Luthar. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez. Kicking Cannon edits the show, and The Indicator is a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Greenlight. Want to teach your kids financial literacy? With Greenlight, kids and teens use a debit card of their own, while parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and savings in the app. Get your first month free at greenlight.com NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. On, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR.